Welcome to you joining us online. Uh, today in our Romans study, we're kind of getting to some uh, climatic thinking here as Paul brings us to this whole topic of unity. Um, he's prepped us for this teaching that we're going to receive this morning in all of chapter 14. We're not supposed to let disputable matters become stumbling blocks or obstacles. We're supposed to keep them in their proper place. But more than that, what Paul's going to reveal to us in the reading today from Romans is that we're supposed to experience this divine unity as the people of God. So I want to begin today by setting our minds on unity. So we're going to read Psalm 133 out loud uh, together. It's going to appear on the screen behind me. If you're at home, I want to encourage you to read along out loud uh, at home also. Um, So here we go. Read this out loud with me. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's head, beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So unity is a a place of blessing. Um, I discovered this as a young pastor at New Hope. We begin to do these fall emphasis and bring the whole church together, try to get all our small groups to do everything together. And we begin to experience tremendous growth and blessing there as we are one in the body of Christ. And I believe that's the same for us, why we do a spiritual emphasis in the fall each year and why we encourage groups and and all of you to grab the materials and do them at home is, is there's something about being one in Christ and having this unity that God bestows his blessing upon that kind of an effort. I want to begin this message a little differently today. I have a demonstration. So I need some volunteers. You see you three little girls here? I desperately need you up here. Okay, can you come up, all three of you? I know that a couple of you belong to the mom behind, but just come on up. And then um, Dylan, I need you. And you right there, I don't know your name. You're, you're, you're good enough. I just need a big dude. Come on up. <laughs> so, so, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that these two are having a tug of war. Here you go, girls. And you two are going to take them on. Yeah. All right? <laughs> so, these guys represent the church. This is Dylan, by the way. He's an intern here at, at Grace Point. Um, so, these two dudes represent the church. Okay, do they look like they would beat these two little girls? What do you think, girls? These girls represent the world. Nothing against you or anything. You represent the ways of the world, okay? And, and so these two probably wouldn't stand a chance against a strong church. Amen? But now I want you to, we want to change the dynamic just a little bit. Dylan, you're going to turn this way. And you're going to pull against your buddy here in the church. You're going to be fighting over disputable matters. And you're going to get caught up in secondary things, so you're all distracted. Now, you girls are going to tug on them. So now, all of a sudden, the church becomes weaker and more frail and more susceptible to the things of the world, and the world can begin to dominate her because there's infighting and disunity happening. I'm not going to actually do this because there's a ledge there. And I didn't know who would go over the ledge, but I just wanted to demonstrate very visibly to you what happens when there's disunity in the, in the church and why, why Paul speaks on it so much in the book of Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament. Because when we get caught up and start arguing about good causes, and they may be really good causes, and we become distracted and we begin to see one another as adversaries, 
then guess what? The world becomes a stronger pull against us and we become weaker and anemic as a church. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to really understand. So you guys can go ahead and sit down. Thanks for doing that. Thanks, girls. You'll be back when you get baptized anyway, right? So you can just jump. Yay. I look at that, think young knees. Oh, gosh, I should wear that head. Sorry, I wish I still had young knees. Anyway, um, so unity is a really big deal, and that's where we're going to go to today in our study uh, uh, from the book of Romans. So we're going to grab uh, Romans chapter 15 this morning and look at verses 5 through 12 and, um, and, and talk on this topic of unity. And when I'm talking on the topic of unity, of course, I'm talking on this divine oneness in Jesus Christ. So listen to this scripture. It's familiar because Pastor Aaron read part of it last week, but but we're going to reread it today. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And we're going to talk on this at the end of the message. This is going to make sense. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, that all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who, who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Um, at any rate, uh, this scripture is talking about unity, and that's what we're going to focus on today. I have an old 1984 NIV Bible that I love to look at every now and then because it renders some things just a little bit differently. Listen to how it renders verse 5 of Romans 15. It says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So when Paul talks about unity here in Romans 15, he's done a lot of groundwork, amen? He's done a lot of teaching, so we begin to really know what what unity he's talking about. He's talked about disputable matters uh, all throughout Romans chapter 14. He's telling us not to let things like meat or sacred days uh, that you observe become divisive points. And he's saying, let disputable matters remain secondary in your understanding of relationship with one another. And you know what? We can be convinced about causes. We can be convinced about certain people and all that. That's not not a problem. But we have to be considerate of other people who may have differing opinions. Today, the Vikings play the Packers, right? And we have different opinions on that. I know the Vikings are probably going to lose. But... I still am going to root for them, even though it's a remote chance of them winning. Amen? All right? Um, you follow what I'm saying? But we can't let those kind of things really matter that much, because they really, honestly, just don't matter. And what, what Paul's saying here when he talks about this topic of unity, he's not talking about uniformity, that we all have to believe the same way and all have to look the same way. In fact, you know what I think is a, to the praise and glory of God is that uh, is when the church is very diverse in its look and has a lot of different kinds of folks with a lot of different kinds of personalities. Amen? I think that's a marvelous glimpse of what heaven's going to look like. It's not going to be this uniformity. It's going to be this diverse group of humanity all worshiping Jesus Christ. Amen? all having one voice and one mind as they seek Jesus. So our big thought today is this, for this T-Fest Sunday, 
Unity is not the goal in terms of having kind of a uniformity. When I say, I say unity, that, that's not the goal. Unity in Christ as we follow him is the goal, church. Amen? Unity in Christ as we follow him is the goal. And Paul addresses disunity all over in the New Testament. And one of my favorite examples is found over in 1 Corinthians. He addresses the disunity that the the Corinthian church was experiencing. And so I want us to learn a little bit this morning vicariously from them and what Paul taught them. Uh, I think it's so applicable uh, to, to us today. So this church in Corinthians is so dysfunctional. Anybody here ever deal with dysfunctional family? Come on now, am I the only one? I mean, dysfunction, you get together and go, wow, God, we couldn't be any stranger if we tried, amen? And sometimes, you know, churches are dysfunctional. Uh, The Corinthian church was very carnal, very earthy. They were very immature. They were definitely misusing spiritual gifts. A large part of 1 Corinthians is corrective teaching on the proper use of spiritual gifts. They had this appalling sexual sin happening in their midst that they weren't addressing. They couldn't even do communion right. Some were getting drunk while others were going hungry. They couldn't even do that right. So if you're Paul and you're addressing that kind of a church, where do you start? What's the first thing you begin to teach on? You know what he began to teach on? Unity first. I find that interesting and insightful. Of all the things he could pick, he starts teaching them on the importance of unity. Um, And I think a church's vitality, a church's health is directly proportional to their willingness to center their lives on Jesus Christ Willingness to live in mutual dependence with one another and mutual accountability to one another. That's what Paul means when he talks about unity. That there's this centeredness on Jesus Christ and there's this mutual dependence. We're family, amen? Family depends on family. And there's this mutual accountability. Before Andrew Jackson was the seventh president of the United States, he served uh, as major general in uh, the Tennessee militia. And during the War of 1812, his troops reached an all-time low in morale. As a result, they begin to bicker among themselves and fight among themselves. And it's reported that um, Andrew Jackson called them together on one occasion when the tensions were at their worst. And he said, gentlemen, must I remind you that the enemy's over there? You guys know that, right? If you know any history at all, you know this. This is in history books all over the place, right? Gentlemen, the enemy's over there. Well, the one who wrote up this illustration goes on to say, I wonder if Christ sometimes looks down at his church and says with a sigh, Christians, your enemy's over there. And when he says over there, he means Satan and spiritual entities at war against us, not flesh and blood. And he... This guy goes on to say, stop your infighting. Pull for one another. Support one another. Believe in one another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Paul begins his corrective teaching to the Corinthian church by talking about unity. I want to read what he says here in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 13. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one says, 
I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? If I were to state this in more modern terminology, some in our day and age would say, I follow Luther. They're called Lutherans. Some would say, I follow John Wesley. They're called Wesleyans or Methodists. Some would say, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm Reformed. They follow John Calvin. Some would say, well, I follow Beth Moore. Or I follow Matt Chandler. Or I follow Andy Stanley. Or I follow John Piper because he has great sayings. He always has five things to do. Amen? Right? Sorry. But anyway, if you know John Piper, you'd know what I was talking about right there. Um, And you could fill in the blank. I follow this person. Paul would say to us, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Now, each Sunday before Thanksgiving, we do this thing called T-Fest, unless there's a pandemic, (laughs) right? And and it's a day where we celebrate and... um, we have frequently have meals and frequently have baptisms, and there's a great kind of unity around those kind of uh, events. I, I love the meal because really, as a family, you sit down. Meals are a great time of social interaction, right? And you sit down and have a meal, and you talk, and you just enjoy one another's company. Um, I always want to make this day about some kind of good, solid church teaching. And Paul has brought us to that very kind of thought in our Roman series. That unity is essential for the Church of Jesus Christ to be strong and vibrant. Um, And what is most needed in our world right now, whether people realize it or not, is a church united around Jesus Christ following hard after him. Amen? That's what our world needs most right now. And so I pray that you're open to what I'm sharing with you today. And I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to your hearts and that this would be a message that would find some fertile soil in in your souls uh, today. So I want to talk with you for a few moments about moving from disunity to unity um, using some of that 1 Corinthians teaching of Paul that I just read to you. See, Paul is saying this, relationships that have been disjointed by the wrong focus, a focus on Paul, a focus on Apollos, a focus on Cephas, or some who are saying, I'm super spiritual, I'm focused on nobody but Jesus Christ. Relationships that have been disjointed by the wrong focus can be restored in Jesus with the focus on following him. Now, perfectly united here, when Paul says, he prays that they be perfectly united, in the Greek that means to reset or to restore a dislocated limb like an elbow or a shoulder that's dislocated to have it reset, pop back into place so that it functions right again. So here's what we have to understand about moving from a disunity uh, to unity, whether it be in the church or even in your families, amen? It's, we got to understand that unity under any source other than Jesus Christ can cause disunity in the church and honestly in families too, Right? Jesus Christ has to become a rallying point around which we find our true unity. Now, in that Corinthians teaching, there are four, you know, men listed here that people were putting their loyalty to. And I could see why they would do that. You know, first one is Paul. Paul was a blunt man. He wrote a lot of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's authentic. He's straightforward. You know what he thinks. I like that kind of person. How about you? You should nod your head vigorously. Yes. No, I, I just like to know when I talk to somebody, just tell me what you think and I can take it. Can you take what I think too back at you? Amen? Uh, I'm fond of saying, as a pastor, I don't share about 90% of what I think. 
because it won't help and people can't receive it. So I just don't do it because it's a distraction sometimes to the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm free to do all things, but I'm going to gladly give up some of those freedoms to minister to you Gentiles and all that. He's, a, he's really the apostle to the Gentiles. It's so Jewish tradition, eh, he kind of withdrew it out. All right? So that's a Paul followers. Then you have the followers of Apollos. Apollos was cultured and articulate. Um, I'm sure he had a commanding presence. I'm sure people thought, look at that dude. He represents Christianity really well. He's our guy. And they were very loyal to him, and they loved his charismatic kind of nature. Then you had Cephas, who's also Peter. He's the apostle to the Jews. And I'm sure with this group, Jewish tradition was being incorporated into the Christian experience pretty readily. Peter... I'm sure that his followers said, look, he preaches and 3,000 people are born again. I mean, can it get any better than that? That's quite a resume, amen? And then you had this fourth group, the followers of Christ, and you kind of go, huh? Aren't we supposed to follow Christ? Absolutely. But I think what's being implied here was this group is the me and Jesus only group. Nobody else can tell me what to do. It's just me and Jesus thinking they're pretty spiritual. And Paul's, remember, he's, he's identifying division here. And so I know a lot of people like this. I don't need a church. I just need Jesus, fooey with the church, fooey with other people, right? And, and, and such ones think of themselves as super spiritual, but they're really not because you don't have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit within you. And when you say, I don't need other people, you're, you're denying a means of grace of God in your life. Amen? So, at any rate... Consider this, what unites us frequently divides us. So if we're united around a good cause, around a certain teacher, a leader, no matter if they're really good, frequently church, that divides the church. And that's what Paul was saying here. If you really want to be a powerful church, if you really want to connect with God and have uninhibited, you know, the interaction and relationship going on with God, then you got to be united divinely like this, following after Jesus hard. So let's head back to Romans chapter 15. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me really quickly here. Um, uh, first of all, we see that in verse 5, that uh, unity brings glory to God. So right relationships with one another centered on Jesus promote this, what I would call uninhibited connection with God brings glory to God. So if Ryan and I are sitting together and we're just loving on Jesus together and encouraging each other in our relationship with Jesus Christ and that's our focus, guess what that does? It creates this uninhibited kind of connection with God and you begin to bring glory to God by doing that. It's just a marvelous thing. And then Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another as Christ accepts you uh, to bring praise to God. So when we have a diverse group of people like this, the world notices followers like us with diverse backgrounds and viewpoints who really practice Christ-like acceptance of one another. They go, huh, what does that mean? That really speaks uh, of the reality of Jesus, and it's a way that praise is brought to, to, to God. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, the church is born, and it's a marvelous birth. Um, it says that the followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching and to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were filled with awe. Jesus was looming big in their sight. They were just overwhelmed with who Christ was and what he was doing. And God moved mightily in their midst with signs and wonders. And they were together. They had everything in common. And these people were coming together in this wonderful unity. And I love how Acts chapter 2 ends. 
they enjoyed the favor of all those around them. Why? Because they were one in Jesus Christ. And that brought praise to God. Even in the midst of their diversity, their different struggles, their different life experiences, and Aaron covered this really well, their different classes of people, slaves sitting down with the wealthy, you know, all the, that coming together like that was just unheard of. And it brought praise to God. Amen? Brought praise to God. So unity has been God's plan all along for his church and for people, for fallen humanity. Unity has been God's plan all along. Romans 15.8 says that Jesus was a servant to the Jews to confirm the promise to the patriarchs, that God would send a Messiah. But it moves beyond that. Paul says it also applies to the Gentiles. In God's mercy, he's including all people in this promise of unity under the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he quickly gets into what I call three proofs of the inclusive uh, inclusion of all people in Jesus. And if you don't understand, he's doing a little apologetics here. You go, what is this about? Well, this is apologetics for unity right here that he gives us really short and really fast. Proof one, he takes an example from the law. In, in, in Romans 15, 10, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's a quote from the law. That's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 34. It's from the song of Moses. And Moses in, in, in Deuteronomy uh, 32 is kind of extolling God and talking about it to Israel. Don't forget God and what he's done. Don't make those same mistakes. And then he ends this really, really cool song by saying, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. You see, one of the things you've got to understand in the Bible is that God's always a God over all peoples and all nations. And he's always had this plan of inclusion and and, and unity under Jesus Christ. And so Paul quotes from the law as kind of a, as a proof of God's divine purpose of unity in his church and in us. Amen? So he begins this kind of proof. He's he's saying like, I don't know if you're into apologetics and logic and all that kind of stuff, but he begins by saying, look, the law supports unity here. That's what he's basically saying. And if you, if you, the first five books of the, of the Bible are called books of law, okay? Just so you, you, you understand that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Sometimes they're referred to the Pentateuch, the, five, the books of Moses, or the books of the law. Amen, okay? And so he quotes from that as kind of a support of unity. And then he goes on, and proof number two is a quote from the Psalms. Romans 15, 11 says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praise to him, all you peoples. There's a quote from Psalm 117, 1. And so it's interesting here that, that what, what, what Paul is doing is, is, is saying, okay, the law supports unity, that's God's plan along, and so do the Psalms. I, I don't know if you realize, these are major portions of the Old Testament, okay, that he's using. And um, he's revealing here that God is God of all people and unity has been his plan all along. And then he gets to proof number three, it's from the prophets. Romans 15, 12 says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. Is a quote from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. We quote this all the time at Christmas, when Advent begins. The root of Jesse will spring up, one will rise from that stump, and the nations will be blessed through him. And basically, it's a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ, and that all people would find unity under the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to say here is, this whole little teaching I just read to you today is on unity. Amen? You got to understand, even when he gets into these proofs, it's verifying that unity is a big deal to God, and God wants his church to be unified under Jesus Christ. It's been his plan all along. So here's a summary. It's been God's plan all along 
to unite diverse people under Jesus. And Paul demonstrates this to be the case by the, the proof of the law and the Psalms and the prophets. So, Romans 14 was like a primer. It was like a prereq. It got us understanding disputable matters don't matter. You can have your convictions on them. That's okay. But be considerate of other people. Don't become a stumbling block or an obstacle to them. But rather, encourage each other and hold each other up and do that stuff that leads towards peace and mutual edification. So that's like the introduction. Then Paul gets into this big idea. Church, he says, you are to be of one mind and one voice. You're to have a spirit of unity among you. You're to follow after Jesus Christ hard. And that becomes a thing of glory to God and praise to God and a tremendous witness to a world far gone from God. If we don't do that, if we let disputable matters become too important, we're tugging this rope against each other and the world can easily overcome us. Amen? But if we understand following after Jesus' heart and making him the center of everything that we do, then we become this influence that we're supposed to be in the culture far gone from God. So I'm going to end today by praying part of Jesus' prayer. And it was a prayer over all believers, including us. And it's interesting what he prays for us. So if you'd bow your head, I'm going to pray uh, John 17, verses 20 through 26 over us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those that will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself might be in them. Amen.